A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Dr. David Johnson of Transform Ed, which is hosted on the YouTube channel, Educational Innovation 360. This was a live interview, but I pulled the audio to turn it into a podcast episode for you guys. So the format will be just a bit different than what you're used to. It will be the Transform Ed music, and it will be David interviewing me. And I didn't want it to just be on the YouTube channel. I wanted to play it here for you guys as well. The content was based around leveraging leadership in a building for instructional mastery. Thank you for tuning in today, and let's get to the show. I am so happy to have as our guest tonight, Dr. Mel Vandervoort, and I'd like to call you Melinda, but <laughs> Melinda's a great name, so let's get going here. How are you tonight? Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here as a guest. Well, let's read your um, bio. Melinda Vandervoort, EDD, owner, Empowered Pathways Network, LLC, Baldwin, Missouri, has been an educator for over 24 years. She became an administrator to fulfill her passion for leadership and teacher support. Dr. Vandervoort launched her consultancy to further serve educators through professional learning development, which includes how to integrate student leadership into the educational journey. She works with teachers and district leaders to implement instructional and classroom management strategies that increase student learning and would close the achievement gap. Dr. Vandervoort is also hostess of the Empowered Educator podcast, where she coaches teachers on how to expand into a leadership role by emphasizing mindset, options, and preparation. Ma'am, I have a lot to ask you regarding your bio and the different things that you've done. I know you full you fulfilled a full plate of of uh, positions in in uh, education. So, what do they all include? I cannot name them all individually, but um, let's just say I have done everything from preschool to high school. Computers, I've done it all. I ended my time in the classroom my last two years. I was sixth grade ELA and social studies and then moved into leadership. Well, what did you study in your, well, your degrees, your bachelor's, master's and PhD programs? Yeah. Um, so I got my bachelor. I actually, I got all of my degrees at Southwest Baptist University. It's Bolivar, Missouri. And I have an elementary education bachelor's. I have a couple of masters. I have a master's of instructional technology and then one in educational, um, leadership and then moving into my doctorate, which is the educational leadership. Now you emphasize leadership in the work that you do. How did you become interested in leadership? Just being in the classroom and, you know, you get to that point in your educational career where you start critiquing your principals and the things that they're doing and not necessarily in a bad way, but you're like, uh, maybe I would have done this this way or what if we went this way or I think that was a great idea, but maybe, you know, and you start doing that kind of stuff. And when you start doing that, then you kind of realize maybe 
leadership is where I should go because I, I just feel that calling. I feel like I want to do more and I see where things could be better or different in a, in a certain area. Now, when you speak of leadership in, in your bio, you speak of it from a servant leadership position or mm-hmm. perspective. Which uh, leadership style appeals most to you? Servant leadership is definitely it. Um, You know, you can't just be one leadership style. You have to have a mix of all of the different leadership styles, but you have to be a servant first. You know, I am um, a faith led person. And so servant having a servant heart is where I like that's the position that I take. Mm -hmm. And I feel like God pushes you or directs you in the direction he wants you to go. And it's all in service to him and service through service of your, your fellow educators. And and when you speak of classroom management strategies, what does that mean? Does that mean behavior management or does mean the broad sense of how to get kids from one place to another within a school building? (laughs) Um, Classroom management can be all of that, but I really think that if you have good classroom management, then your instructional instructional aspect of everything is so much easier. It's so much better to be an instructor in a classroom where it's organized. There's good management. There's you can have a certain amount of chaos, but you still need to have control of everything and like organization and systems in place. Mm-hmm. And you can, the kids are great at that. I had classroom economy when I was had kids in the classroom and my kids took care of things on their own. I did not have to tell them what to do. They took care mm-hmm. of my lunch count. They, they went to the bathroom without my permission because we had systems in place. So if you're mm-hmm. have good classroom management, it runs itself. Now tell us about your podcast. What makes your podcast special? Well, I started my podcast back in about 2019, right before COVID, actually. And I just, I don't know. I love technology. I have an instructional technology master's. And that was just something I found podcasts. And I'm like, I need to do this. So I just started. I had no clue what I was doing. I just bought a microphone, downloaded Audacity, and started podcasting. And what wasn't great at the beginning Um, When I very first started, it was really more toward professional development on the go Mm -hmm. because professional development is a passion of mine. And that's what my doctoral dissertation was on. And I just felt like teachers needed some way to learn on the go where Mm -hmm. it was, you know, accessible to them at any time. Mm -hmm. And recently I have transitioned that over into teachers moving into a leadership position and not all of them know the options. They want to move into some kind of leadership position, but they don't know the options. They maybe don't know the preparation, but you also have to get in the right mindset for that. And so I wanted to have a podcast. I So when I transitioned that, I really wanted it to be to where they could grow into a leadership position. Even if they didn't leave the classroom, you can still be a leader in your district mm-hmm. and from the classroom. Understood. Well, the topic or the title of our conversation this evening is Empowering Teachers, mm-hmm. Leveraging Leadership for Instructional Mastery. And our three topics are understand tier one instruction and why it matters, elevate instruction with proven strategies, provide leadership support. 
Melinda, where would you like to start? Well, we always have to start with why, David. Um, why is it important? Well, if you don't have strong tier one instruction, nothing else matters because you're trying, it, it's almost like you're, you're working against yourself. If your classroom whole group instruction is not the strongest it can be, then go having RTI, you can have RTI all day long and it's not going to be effective because you're just doing one student after another and you're not maximizing or leveraging that whole group setting and you're not maximizing your first round instruction. Well, Melinda, I'm glad you mentioned RTI because when I read tier one, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I forget that I failed to ask you what you meant by tier one. So if you would, please elaborate on what you mean by tier one. Yeah, absolutely. Tier one is that first round of instruction. It is that classroom instruction. It is this instruction that the teacher presents to every student. And then your tier two is when you move into RTI and that specialized um, instruction with your students. So when you say uh, teacher instruction, um, I, I remember courses I've taken where we've made diagrams of who is involved in the mm -hmm. teaching or what's the dynamic between this one and that one and so on. So when you say teacher instruction, do you mean the teacher as leader standing in front of the classroom and 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 lecturing or what do you mean by no, uh, instruction I mean tier one? teacher facilitating learning. So yes, there's a, a certain amount of instruction by the teacher, but it's very minimal when it's just teacher-led. And you need to have a good balance of teacher-led and student-led. You need to have students engaged and they are actually part of the process. It's not just the teacher. The teacher already knows this material. So if you're just standing up there lecturing, you're just teaching yourself because your, your kids are checked out and they're <laughs> probably not listening to you. If you include them in the learning process and you make them think and you make them responsible for their learning, they become excited about that and they want to learn and they want to they want to show you that they can learn and that mm -hmm. they can do it. And I don't think we give our students enough credit about how much they can do. And I think we try to, I think sometimes we feel like we need to dumb things down instead of make it more rigorous for our students because we mm -hmm. feel like, oh, they're not getting it. So I'm going to have to go backward and reteach and I'm going to have to teach it. I'm going to have to start at step one. No, no, you don't. You need to you need to be acceleration versus remediation. So we're trying to accelerate learning rather than constantly remediating. And your students need to be part of that. And they they can do rigorous work. Mm. And if you give them the opportunity, they're going to shine. They're going to show you. That now, they can. now, Melinda, before you get too far, you said a lot of things I want to I know. I like to go back and visit, if, if I may. Absolutely. Engage first. How does one engage students? What would be your approach to engaging students? There are so many different ways to engage students. You like there are so many different strategies. When I was in the classroom, I knew a few strategies. I learned things on my own because I'm a researcher. And so if I didn't know how to do something, I would look it up. But we have teachers that don't necessarily know. So there are great strategies like Kagan strategies, teach like a champion, all of those different 
places that you can find strategies to engage your students. We want thinking classrooms. We don't want the teacher to be the one who goes home tired at the end of the day. We want students going home tired at the end of the day because they are so engaged. They are thinking. They are collaborating. They're talking with each other. They're working things out and they're sharing and they're reworking. And so engagement looks different in every classroom. And there are just so many different ways that engagement can manifest that it's hard to name all of them. Okay. And also, please enlighten us on RTI. Give us the whole skinny on RTI. Well, I'll give you a little skinny on RTI (laughs) because I'd really like to focus on tier one rather than tier two. Uh Um, So RTI is response to intervention. It's that intervention that comes when you need to, when you actually do need to go back and remediate, but you need to do it in a way that it's not, it's not just remediation constantly. You are remediating just in time and you're remediating in small chunks. So they're able to master that and move on. We don't need to take students out of the classroom to remediate because when they're out of the classroom being remediated for something they aren't able to do, then they're missing tier one instruction. So then they're farther behind. So we do that in the classroom as much as possible. Now, I'm not saying there are not times when you don't pull them out. Absolutely. I had students pulled out of the classroom for RTI all of the time, but it you have to be very strategic in when that happens. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing strong tier one instruction in your classroom and you're doing tier two remediation embedded with that, then it's less invasive and the students are always in the classroom learning and they're not removed missing instruction. Now, you, you we talk about RTI, response intervention. Mm-hmm. What is response? What would be an example or examples of response? That is looks different also. You need to rely on your data and that depends. You're collecting data all the time. A good teacher is constantly collecting data and data expires quickly. So if you're offering your tier one instruction and you're monitoring and you're collecting data, you can tell what students need that response to intervention at that moment. So you can send other students to their independent work. You can pull a handful of students back And you can remediate them immediately on that instruction that you provided that day. And then you can see check for mastery and you can redo the response to intervention. You can keep remediating until they get it. And then they can go straight back in to their independent work. And it keeps kids in the classroom and it looks different in every situation. So it depends on your students and you need to make sure you know your students and you're collecting data often. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Melinda, there's the mantra, start where the student is. And uh, you mentioned that we should not remediate and should instead try to move the student forward. So if we're starting where the student is, how do we manage remediation? Okay, so I did not say you can't remediate. I okay. said you have to choose the time to remediate. Okay. So you accelerate as much as possible. What I have found when in my consulting even is, and even I was guilty of this in the classroom when I was a teacher, you would get your students in at the beginning of the year and they, so I taught sixth grade and 
I'm like, man, they're missing so many fifth grade skills. And then I would go back and teach them fifth grade skills. Well, Whoa. guess what? I spent a quarter of my year teaching fifth grade skills. And then I had three quarters of the year to try to teach all of the sixth grade skills that they needed. And so rather than constantly remediate, you start where the students should be. And then you remediate as they as needed. And you don't need to remediate an entire class of students because not every student needs remediation on a specific skill all at one time. So you do you need to know where your students are, but you need to start where they should be. I needed to start with sixth grade skills and then remediate those fifth grade as needed. You just touch one of the common uh, complaints, problems, complaints among teachers. Well, I could do a better job if only you gave me better students. <laughs> so yes. what's your remedy for, for that complaint? Well, I actually just had this conversation with a school that I was consulting with because I do tier one con- consulting. And I told them that exact thing. I'm like, your teachers are teaching. Retention is, or lack of retention is a real thing. Even as adults, we know that we have to hear things several times. We have to see things. We have to do things. It's repetition. And when you're not exposed for an entire summer or Christmas break, you forget a few things and you just have to go back and refresh those skills. Your teachers below you, if you're teaching sixth grade and your fifth grade teachers are teaching, they're not just spending a whole year watching movies and doing whatever it is. They're teaching. But it takes a lot of work for those students to solidify those skills because it's repetition. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going back to your bullet. Understand tier one instruction and why it matters. Mm -hmm. What specifically must we understand about tier one instruction? That it's the foundation of student success, because Mm -hmm. if you don't have strong tier one instruction, then your tier two all of the other, it's not, it's going to be for, for not because you're always going to be remediating if you don't have that strong tier one instruction. Okay. Well, let's go to the next bullet. Mm-hmm. Elevate instruction with proven strategies. You just mentioned that you're a researcher. So mm-hmm. when you say proven strategies, what precisely do you mean? There are so many different proven strategies. I'm trying to get my notes here. Um, There are books and books on great strategies that you can use in the classroom. One that I use is Teach Like a Champion. Another, I've used Kagan strategies. We've all heard those things and we use those. We just don't always know that we're using those. But you can use those strategies to really elevate that engagement. You can use that to elevate your own instruction. There, There's just a lot of different ways to do it. You coaches are a great way to learn those different strategies. You only know what you know. And like I said, when I was in the classroom, I didn't know all of these strategies. I researched, I found out some things, but not everyone does that. And not everyone knows what those options are. So it's really important to have someone who can coach your teachers on those strategies. Mm -hmm. What's your general impression of teacher preparations, um, whether it's uh, college or university, what's your impression of teacher preparation? It is a necessity because you cannot wing it. 
You have to know what you're teaching every day. You have to be prepared. You have to know how you can up the rigor. You have to be prepared for those um, those gaps that might happen during your learning or those times when your data, when you're around collecting that data in your classroom, you're, you're monitoring your students and you're collecting data and you see that they don't get it, then you have to have a plan in place to reteach in that moment. Because if you have at least 80% of your kids not getting it, that's not on them, that's on you. So mm-hmm. you need to go back and you need to figure out a way to reteach that so they can mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared for that, if you haven't done that in your plans and you don't know your material well, then it's going to be a struggle for you as well. And you're not going to be able to be a good tier one instructor. Mm-hmm. Now, Melinda, you've mentioned the word rigor numerous times. Mm-hmm. What's your definition of rigor? It doesn't necessarily mean more work, guys. It means you want your students to think. You want them to stretch. You want them to feel a little uncomfortable, maybe, because no one's going to grow in their comfort zone. And you have to really push your kids because they're scared to be vulnerable. And rigor, it makes you vulnerable because it makes you think and it it really pushes you. And well, so it, would rigor, I'm sorry, would go rigor ahead. be... Being demanding, meaning the, the teacher is being demanding. Does rigor mean being demanding? Does it mean being exacting? Does it mean not letting people off the hook? It means not letting people off the hook, definitely. It's not necessarily demanding. Um, I guess it can be depending on how you define demanding. I think of that as, you know, I, I don't know, I, like someone who's like overbearing or something like that. Right. But no, you need to you need to encourage. It's encouraging for one thing. You're encouraging Mm -hmm. your students to take chances, to be vulnerable, to fail and course correct, and then be successful. Because as you're trying and you're struggling, growth is in the struggle. It's not in succeeding immediately. You you don't grow until you struggle a little bit and you learn Mm -hmm. some some more information and that's really what it is. Then how do these proven strategies elevate instruction? Well, they're proven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you know your students, so you know what works with them, and you're going to learn what works best in your specific situation. There are thousands of strategies that you can use, but the most important thing is to be prepared to plan out to make sure there's alignment, to make sure your assessments are aligned, your learning activities are aligned. It is all the way from what do you want in the end? At the end of this unit, what is your student going to learn? What is their mastery going to be? And then let's backward plan to get them there. Okay. You, you, you take those steps backward to make sure that you are prepared for your students to facilitate that learning environment. Melinda, you just prompted my uh, thinking here. Mastery, rigor. Are they married? No, you, no, ahead. not at Explain. all. You can master something that's not rigorous at all. Multiplication tables, it's memorization. You can master that, but it's not rigorous necessarily. The learning maybe, 
in some parts of it can be rigorous depending on the age. And, you know, there's a lot of things that factor into rigor. What might be rigorous to you might not be rigorous to me and vice versa. I'm pretty good with programs on the computer, but it might be a struggle for someone else. And it's a rigorous learning situation for them. So students are different. Rigor looks different for students. Okay. All right. Well, that was good. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. You're stretching last... my speaking right now. <laughs> These are not the questions I expected. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last topic is provide leadership support. Earlier, we spoke about servant leadership. Mm-hmm. So what would be providing leadership support? Yeah, absolutely. The leader of a building or a district, they need to know what's going on with the instruction. The instruction is the most important thing in a school because students are there to learn. So you have to have that strong instructional atmosphere all across the district. And so a district leader needs to be on top of that as the district leader, but in a building, the principal needs to be visible. You need to be part of the learning process. You know, I know when I was in the classroom, I would see my principal a lot in the hall, in other situations. I did not see my principal a lot in my classroom. And I wasn't being taught the things that I needed to be taught as a teacher to grow my instructional skills. I did not learn about backward planning and alignment from anyone. I figured some of it out on my own, but I did not learn it until two years ago in a capacity that would have been useful to me in the classroom. So that is where I don't want teachers to be now. I do not want them to not understand that whole process because you're wasting everyone's time if you're not providing strong tier one instruction. If your instruction is not strong, not any fault of your own, just because you don't know how to make it stronger, then somebody's going to need to fix that. Well, Melinda, let, me, let me hit you with leaders. something. Mm-hmm. Let me hit you with something. I've been around longer than you. I'm not going to divulge our ages, but I've been around <laughs> longer than you. And at one point, a principal's job was to manage the school, let's say. And eventually it evolved to being an instructional leader. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm, I'm asking when you were in the classroom, at what point was the principal? Was the principal the building manager or the instructional leader? At the end, my principal was sort of an instructional leader, but not a strong instructional leader because I wasn't being taught, like I said, those things that I needed to be taught. There was no real time feedback. My principal would come into the classroom a few times a year, stand back there. I would get a piece of paper after they left and I would sign off saying, okay, I got whatever the score was. What That meant nothing to me. It did not help me in any way. Okay, so I did bad in this area. Well, what do I do to fix that? No one would tell, no one told me what I needed to do to fix that. So rather well, than go in You became an instructional coach. And, and yeah. again, I think that exemplifies the change in mm-hmm. the way schools were run, the way schools were managed. Uh, again, my initial mm-hmm. impression was that principals were building managers and mm-hmm. then there became more of an emphasis on instruction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as an instructional coach, 
you know, I was a dean of instruction. So it wasn't just me being an instructional coach. It was everything in, on the instructional end of things. Mm-hmm. But that was a large part of my job. But it wasn't just my job. It was every admin in the building was responsible for instructional coaching of the teachers to make sure that they were strong. We gave real-time feedback. We had coaching cycles. We had coaching meetings with them. We went every week. We had certain teachers that we were in the classroom with and we were coaching them in the classroom with real-time feedback. Then we were coaching them outside of the classroom in a coaching meeting. And then we had weekly coaching sessions like whole group with cohorts. It was a lot of coaching and it's effective. The unfortunate thing about this program is that it's only 30 minutes and we've used up every the time we had. So we can go on forever. I am so sure. But given what we've discussed, what would be the takeaway you'd like people to have from our conversation? If you're a teacher, make sure that you are advocating for yourself to get help if you need to increase your instruction in the classroom, Mm -hmm. if you need resources, if you need someone to coach you, if you don't have the strategies, advocate for yourself. If you're a leader, then you need to be that person offering that so they don't have to come to you and ask. You should be in their classrooms. You should know what instruction looks like in your building. You're responsible for this instruction in your building. And if you are, if you don't know what's going on, you're going to be responsible for something that you are not fixing or don't know what's happening. And if people want to know more, how do they contact you? Absolutely. You can contact me on just about any social media platform. Um, LinkedIn is a great way to contact me. I have a Facebook page called Empowered Educator. You can email me at mel, M-E-L, Vandevort, V-A-N-D-E-V-O-R-T at gmail.com. You can contact me any way you want, and I would be glad to connect with you. I work with school districts, and we up that tier one instruction, especially if you're a school district that cannot afford a full-time instructional coach. I have options for that so you can still get that instructional support that you need. Excellent. That's wonderful. Our guest tonight was Melinda Vandervoort, EDD, and she's the owner of Empowered Pathways Network, LLC. 